Anyway, man, relationships are the good stuff, right? I mean, they're the things that bring the most memories in our life, the most joy. And then sometimes also they bring the most pain a lot of times, most disappointment. And, uh, you know, so many times the, the things that we carry around with us, the wounds, the scars, those kind of things are connected to the relationships in our life. And so, but God's got a way, that he, there's a way that he's told us that we should have relationships. And so we're going to look at that in different relationships throughout this series and that type of thing. Are you ready to get started? Yes. Yeah, well, grab hold of your Bible and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the word of God. And I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians 4. Ephesians is in the New Testament. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament that starts with Genesis, and a New Testament starts with Matthew, and Ephesians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So it's after Galatians. Ephesians 4, verse 31. This was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's, it's kind of interesting that this letter is written to a church at Ephesus, but it's also written to Christians everywhere, including northeastern Oklahoma. And in the first three chapters, he talks about what Jesus did for us as a result of what took place on the cross, what took place at the resurrection, that, you know, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, that we've been made his masterpiece, created to do good works from the beginning, that there were prayers that he prayed in there for the church, that we'd be filled with might and the spirit of wisdom, and that, you know, and that he would do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then in chapter 4, he begins to talk about what that looks like lived out in our life. In other words, those things that took place that Jesus has done for us, this is what that looks like in everyday life with our everyday thing. And so as we look at that, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he says this, first of all, get rid of. Everybody say get rid of. Get rid of. So he said get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. So you know something about bitterness, man, that if it's, if it's in your life and it's nestled in there, that one of the first instructions that he tells us is to get rid of it. I can tell you from personal experience that a season in my life where I allowed my heart to get bitter and... Um, Quite honestly, I thought it was one of those things that I was kind of exempt from. I thought, man, I, I know we're supposed to forgive. I'm not going to let myself get bitter. But one verse refers to bitterness as a root of bitterness, meaning that it, it gets un, it's operating on the inside of us, kind of underneath the surface. And for the longest time, nobody can see that it's there. That's the way roots are, right? I mean, you don't know that they're there for the longest time. But in time, they break the surface and begin to impact things around them. And that's the way bitterness can be. It can be on the inside of us, operating underneath the surface, and, and we're wrestling with some things. You know, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies, one of my favorite movies, and there's a guy in there named Mr. Potter. How many of you know who Mr. Potter is? Have you seen him? Like, when I used to think bitterness, I'd think, that, that's bitterness. I'll never be that dude. I'll never be that guy right there. But the truth of the matter is, is that bitterness doesn't start out that way. It starts out underneath the surface, and it says that we're supposed to get rid of it because God knows how poisonous that is to our soul and to our relationships. And so for you this morning, man, if that's something you're struggling with, you need to get rid of it. says get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Somebody needed to just sit on that for a minute. Harsh words and slander. In other words, just trying to tear down somebody's reputation, tear down who they are, sharing everything you know, and if you don't know it, then you fill in the blanks and make up stuff. Get rid of it. 
It goes on to say, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, everybody say instead. So instead, it says instead, first of all, be kind to each other. I call kindness free fuel. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind to another human being. Just be kind. Just be kind wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Just be kind. Instead, be kind. It goes uh, to each other. Tenderhearted. And then it says this, forgiving. Everybody say forgiving. forgiving. Forgiving one another as just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, we talk about the good stuff in our life, the relationships in our life, that we'll talk about different relationships throughout the series. We'll, we'll spend one week talking about marriage. We'll spend one week talking about, you know, parenting and our relationship with our kids and their relationship with us. We'll talk about just friendships and, and different things like that. But in this right here, this message this morning, it's the basics. It's the thing that every relationship needs to have. And they're going to last. And so one of the very first things that every relationship needs to have is a willingness to forgive. A willingness to forgive. People show up in our lives and they do not show up perfect. They show up still with broken places. Places of construction that God's working on the inside of them. And guess what? When we show up in their life, guess where we show up? Broken places. Places that God's working that will continually go on. And if, and if forgiveness is not in your relational toolbox, you'll never have any long-lasting relationships. They'll just never be there. I remember years ago when we, we'd started the church, and you know, the first few years we were very fortunate that there was uh, that, uh, the church in Clovis that I'd been working at for 17 years. They, they paid my salary. They helped us. They, they kind of put us ahead of things. And then, and then right after that had ended, we we'd kind of went through an issue, and the, the church was kind of going through a financially hard time and we had some staff on and we went through a period where it was where um uh, they weren't able to pay me another church wasn't able to pay me that you know it's and um and so and we weren't sitting on a pile of cash or anything like that matter of fact it got so much to the point that i know our daughter when she was like 14 or 15 she was waiting tables and you know as a family we were all in on this thing and she even helped us with some of her tip money so we could keep our lights on and so i remember that it was just a really really hard place and i had a friend of mine a guy named steve smother that helped kick off the church, and I called him, and I said, hey, you know, we're, we're really, you know, the church is kind of in this hard place, and, and so the one, you know, we're, we have it said, we're the one who gets paid last is us, and so we're just kind of struggling, and man, he helped us in that moment, and I never forget that I was sharing, and, uh, you know, with, uh, at that time, I, the whole family knew about it, but at one point, Ashley and I were talking about it, our daughter, and she began to cry, she said, where do you get friends like that? Where do you get friends like that? And I'm like, you just endure, you go through every season with each other. You, you don't walk out when everybody else is. And, you know, you're just in it for the long haul. That, you know, and these guys know. And I mean, I have friends in my life. I'm like, if we, if, if we ever get to a place where we're not friends, it's not because I left you. And so we have to carry that. Man, if you're going to be my friend, you've got to have a willingness to forgive. If you're, if you're the unforgiving kind, I'm not your guy. I'm telling you that right now. Because I'm going to give you opportunities to forgive me. I'm telling you, man, I, I'm an instrument of growth that the Lord wants to use in your life. <laughs> Lord, thank you for letting Pastor Rick help me grow. I, I really want to hate him right now, but you're using him to help me grow, and so I appreciate that. There's something powerful about forgiveness. And when we forgive, then it allows the Holy Spirit to come in and heal whatever wound that their behavior, their lack of uh, engagement, 
They're over-engaged, whatever it is, but it allows the Holy Spirit to come in and heal that place so we're not the walking wounded from what took place by them in that season or that period of our life. And if we let him do it enough, let him, for, let him work in us enough that we trust him enough with it, that we haven't bought into the lie that just hardening my heart and stepping away is just safer. It's a lie. If we don't buy into that and we just forgive, we, that we, there's not a debt we're trying to collect. We're not, we're not trying to get even with them or get back at them. We just forgive. Then at some point, the Holy Spirit can heal us where we can love like we were never hurt. It's an incredibly powerful thing. But you'll not have any long-lasting relationships if forgiveness is not in your toolbox of relationships. Because nobody shows up in your world perfect. Nobody shows up in your world finished. And you don't show up in their world perfect or finished. People talk about the church, man. Yeah, you know, the, the church, man, it is. Every, every person in here, in some area of their life, is a mess. And some of them are public messes. Just because you're a secret mess doesn't mean you're not a mess. Don't walk around like you're not the re like the rest of us. Somewhere in your world, you're a mess too. And so we're called to forgive just like, just like, just like God in Christ has forgiven us. I can forgive because I'm the forgiven. If you've received Jesus as your Lord, made him Savior of your life, if you've done that, you can forgive because you're the forgiven. And so number one is this, is that the basics of relationships is forgiveness allows the relationship to endure. It will not endure if forgiveness is not available. It will not endure if mercy is not one of those things that you display. Forgiveness allows the relationship to endure. Look at number two, if you would go with me to Ephesians 5, it's the next chapter. And again, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing out what these things look like in our world. Verse 17, he said this, Don't act thoughtlessly. Man, sometimes I could read that a bunch. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. And making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks. Everybody say give thanks. Amen. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, as I said, man, the first three chapters of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and to uh, Cedar Point Church in Claremore, that it talks about what Jesus has done for us. Then in chapter 4, it begins to talk about in our own lives, personally, what we do. And then in this point right here, he begins to talk about specific relationships. In Ephesians 5.21, again, he said this in 5.21, he says, further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The very next verse, he starts talking about marriage. So he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, don't submit to each other because the other person deserves it. But submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, Jesus, I'm so ticked off at them right now, and I wouldn't do it for them, but I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. I'll, sub I'll submit. And that word submit, the, the best way I can describe it means right here, tend to each other's needs. Submit to one another Tend to each other's needs. Serve each other's needs. 
And so we're called to serve. One, if you're going to have great relationships in your life, that one of the things that we carry is this desire to serve into the life of the other individual. If you show up and all you're looking for is an audience, people won't stay. They're looking for intermission where they can walk out. Some people just want to be the star and have everybody else around them be an audience. But we're called to serve each other. I learned this principle a long time ago. I used to be young. I'm older. Don't call me old. I'm older. And so, and I've learned this, that if you want access to somebody's life, somebody's heart, somebody's dream, you serve your way there. You serve your way into their dream, into their purpose. If you show up and all you want is an audience, people don't stay. Shows are temporary. Relationships, they're lasting. And so we serve each other, and we serve each other's needs. We, we find that one time Jesus' disciples, they were, they, they were traveling. Uh, Jesus was taking them, they were going to another place. And without Jesus knowing about it, they didn't think he knew about it, but they were having this conversation among themselves about who the greatest was. And finally, Jesus came back to him and he said, hey, what, what were you guys talking about back there? Now, some of this, I mean, the scripture doesn't say part of this. I just imagined in my mind whether this is what it was like. Because it does say that he came back to him. So what were you guys talking about? And I, he knew what they were talking about. What were you guys talking about? And I would imagine that in my mind it kind of went something like this. That John steps up and he goes, well, Jesus, I know you love me, but you know how Peter is. He, he was over here and he thinks that he's greater than the rest of us. And, and you know, we tried telling him that that's not true. And, I, and again, I know that you love me. And so, you know, that... Uh, and Jesus said, look, man, he said, among you, he said, among the world, that people think that position entitles them to people to be served. But he said, among you, it won't be so. And, and then he said this in Matthew chapter 11. You can write this down. Uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 23, verse 11. He said, the greatest, say greatest. The greatest among you must be a servant. And I've seen that principle live out in my life, that it's a scriptural principle. I've seen it work in the area of commerce and economics, that businesses that get elevated are because they serve their customer base better than their, uh, better than their opponents do or their competition does. They serve them. And they get elevated to a point, and they get so big they forget to quit serving people, and guess what? Somebody else comes along that serves their customers better. That's just in the business world. But I see it in relationships. You know what I've seen great marriages consist of? Two servants. That that husband is called and he leads the way to serve his wife and to serve his kids because he loves them. That he realizes position doesn't entitle him to privilege. It obligates him to servanthood. Well, I knew three or four of you would be excited about that. But here's the thing. That... Marriages are made of two people that serve. Great marriages. If you want to have a great marriage, serve. Great friendships have two people that serve the interest of the other individual. We can see this time and time again that, that so many times it's easy. You know, it's easy for me. I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. It's easy for me to get caught up in my world, my stuff, my things. I have to be reminded, the Holy Spirit has to remind me, the Lord has to remind me that we've been called to serve and that, and that, that that's, that's the place that takes us to what God has for us in relationships and other things in our life. I think about this guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. And when he was a teenager, he had this dream that God had given him 
that someday his family would bow before him and they would do different things. It's the only time that we know of that Joseph had a dream about himself. And he was a teenager. Years later, he's in prison because of his brother's own insecurities. And I'm sure there were times often where he thought, I have no idea how God's going to get me to that place that I saw. And Joseph had no opportunity to promote himself. He even tried to get one guy to do it, and the guy forgot all about him. But the one thing he could do is he could continue serving, not in his own dreams, but in the dreams of others. And then eventually Pharaoh had a dream, and he, know, he wanted to know the meaning of it. And this one guy said, well, I was cellmates with a guy down there in prison, and I noticed, he did this in my life, that sometimes God would give him understanding. And Pharaoh said, well, get him up here. And he brought him up, got him cleaned up, got him ready to meet Pharaoh, and Pharaoh shared his dream, and God began to give Joseph the interpretation. I think it's so fascinating that every door that needed to be opened in Joseph's life didn't happen as a result of the dream that he had, but happened as a result of the dreams that others had, that God gave him a voice to speak into their world at that time. And there's something incredible about we begin to recognize the things that God has for us, when we begin to serve in the hearts of others, that we find that the doors that we've been waiting to open are connected with the needs that we meet in each other's lives. Well, I don't understand why I don't have any friends that will just do this. You serve their heart and their needs and the door that you've been waiting to open so that you can have the friendships that you want. You'll find them connected to the place that you're serving. I think it's wild that whenever they were talking about being the greatest, Jesus didn't call them together and said, you guys are so wrong. I don't want you to be great. No. He said, you really want to be great? Well, this is how greatness is achieved. Greatness is achieved through serving. And great relationships in our toolbox are not when we're narcissistic and think that the world exists for us and that everybody exists for us and that they're my audience and they're my slave labor and, and they're to do this and to do that. No, no, no. It's when we show up and we see value in the individual that God has placed in front of us and recognize this, Jesus died for them too. And we begin to hear their heart and begin to hear, their, hear the things they say. And we endeavor to serve, to make their world better. The question isn't, do I feel better when I leave your presence? The question is, do you feel better? Have I done what's best for you? And so serving is such a powerful thing. And so number two is, serving makes the relationship great. You have a great marriage? Serve your spouse. You want a great friendship? Serve your friend. The greatest marriages is when both spouses are serving each other. The greatest friendships are when both friends are serving each other. That's what we're called to be. It's, it's in our nature. We have the greatest servant of all time living on the inside of us. In John 13, it says, When Jesus realized that all things were delivered unto him, when he realized the authority that he was going to be given, he didn't stand up in the middle of the room and say, hey, I know who I am. I, I know that I'm, I'm God in the flesh. I know why I'm here and that type of thing. And I know that, that all will worship me. And so we're going to begin that right now. I want you guys to begin to serve me. You know what he did in that moment? That's not what he did. He took off his robe and he put on a towel and he took the lowest form of servanthood in the house and began to go around and begin to wash each person's feet. He leveraged that moment of position instead of for power, he leveraged it for purpose. And that's what servants do. 
And so great relationships in our toolbox, the basics, is serving makes the relationship great. Let's look at number three here, and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to Colossians 3. You're in Ephesians. The next book over is Philippians, and the book after that is Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, he chose you, man, he loves you, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now listen to this. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance. Look at the person next to you and say, you got to make allowance for me. I didn't, say, I didn't say tell them they got to give you an allowance. I said tell them to make allowance for you. Make allowance, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Now listen to this. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, everybody say above all. In other words, he talks about being tenderhearted. He talks about being merciful, kind, operating in humility, gentle and patient. But above all, more important than any of these other things, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So above all of these things, clothe yourself in love. And he said, when we clothe ourselves, in other words, to clothe yourself in it means that it's noticeable, that people see it. That it's evident that I love you. It's obvious that I love you. I'm clothed in it. You can see it. Above all, clothe yourself in love, which, which is, you know, binds us together in harmony. So it's, it's the thing that holds us together. You know, you'll hear one where we say now, you'll hear some of it again in a week or two. When I talk about marriage, but you probably stand to hear it more. And that is, I know with, with Tina and I, that I, I know our story is not everybody's story. And, you know, some of you, man, that you guys were the perfect couple. When you got married, man, Disney characters came to your window and brought food to you and stuff like that, you know. Um, they, they, they didn't. Bambi was on his way and some hunter shot him. And so, I mean, it was one of those things, you know, we, we didn't have that. And so... So we were just so different, man, that there was like conflict like every day. And we didn't do a lot of things well, but let me tell you something we did do well. We fought well. And I don't mean godly. I mean, we fought well. And so, um, and so it was just one of those things. There was just this stress, this tension on us constantly. And, you know, for years. And, um, and you know, and just it, it was just this. And eventually we made a decision. We made a decision. We're going to stay together. And I know that may sound wild, but, you know, we, we hadn't settled that. We said we're going to stay together. And so, and, you know, sometimes you can stay together and still be miserable, right? I mean, yeah, not, not that's your situation, but, you know, ours was that you could stay together and there's still conflict and, and that type of thing. And, and, I, and just when I look at this verse and it says that, that the, thing, the difference is in staying together and staying together in love is that when you stay together in love that it binds us in perfect harmony. I, I remember being in the, like the fifth or sixth grade and the elementary school I was going to, that they took us to the, I think the Tulsa Philharmonic, and we were there, and you know, up on the, the platform were all of these musicians with all these different instruments, violins, cellos, the, the bass, um, uh, you know, kettle drums or whatever they're called, you know, just different things like that, uh, um, just all these instruments. And before they started, you could hear this, this chaotic noise going on from each one of these instruments. There wasn't anything that was pleasant to it. 
But all of a sudden, the conductor steps up, and he grabs the baton, and he kind of taps on the, on the podium, and, and when he does, he grabs their attention, and then, and then he begins to move, and based upon his leadership, this chaos turned into this melody that even a sixth-grade sixth ornery boy leaned in to listen because it was incredibly sounding. And whenever love becomes the conductor of your relationship, you don't just stay together. There's a harmony that comes with it. You can't do it without that. You can't become an us without two people loving each other. You can be a good spouse and committed to love, but if the other person isn't committed, it doesn't, you know, and no fault of your own, it's hard to have a good marriage if both of you aren't engaged in it. But when both people are committed to love each other, not because they feel that way, because let me tell you something, feelings are counterfeit. They don't last. They go away. Real love is a decision. You choose to love that person. You say, well, Pastor, I don't have anything left. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad by the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. If you've given your life to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you, and when he shows up, he just pours the love of God in your heart. You say, I'm empty. Well, you, you're drawn from the wrong source. There's a well on the inside of you that's everlasting. And we've all been there where our cup is empty, our bowl has nothing left in it. But it's because we're trying to draw from our own strength, from our own emotions. And we have to engage again with the Holy Spirit and begin to partake of the well that He's made available. And it's a well that never runs dry. And that love that's on the inside of us, we begin to pour it out into the life of those around us. And in marriage, if, if both of you are doing that, then the harmony that comes from that, because it's no longer my feelings or the conductor. It's no longer my disappointments or my dreams or my hopes. It's the love of God that's beginning to determine the direction of where we head and what we do and what this looks like. And together it makes this harmonious sound that's appealing, that's compelling, that draws us in. I've been on both sides of that. I was so frustrated in my marriage, so frustrated with my wife, that I felt like I had anything left in me to love her. And I know she felt the same way about me. But in that period of just anger, and God began to deal with me because I was amazed at how much bitterness permission gave me to be a lousy husband. that the Lord wasn't okay with that. And he began to deal with my heart and deal with her heart and all of a sudden the love of God showed up and here's the wild thing about it is is that as far as so many things in our life, it's not like a lot of behavior has changed. I'm still an idiot in so many areas in my marriage. But it's not our mistakes that drive us apart. It's when we don't let the love of God be in control of what God's given us.
Love is the glue for the relationship. And great friendships, great commitments, great partnerships, great teams, great marriages. Great marriages are made when a man and a woman are committed to each other in the love of God. And whenever they feel empty, they go back to the source, which is not Hollywood. It's not some love story you've seen on TV, which is nothing but a stinking fantasy. It would be like trying to say that, you know, that going to a Disney cartoon and saying all animals talk. Therefore, I'm waiting for them to say something. No, the reality is the thing that bonds us together and causes harmony in those relationships is when we let the love of God be the thing that directs us. It's, holds, it's the glue and it creates harmony a sweetness to what takes place. We saw that video up there. It was different staff. There was uh, a couple of more Jake and Ashley's kids. And then I know you guys saw um, Timmy and Christine making out. And it was just one of those things that, <laughs> I, I don't know how that got included. But, um, and then just, you know, some other things. But all those things are good. But, but the thing that makes those moments memorable is the love that's there so love is the glue for the relationships that we have these are the things in every friendship in everything that we go in is that we have to be willing to forgive people show up broken you show up broken they'll never be perfect you'll never be perfect relationships don't endure without mercy They're not rich unless you're willing to make it about more than just you. And that unless love is directing it, then it opens up a, just this vacancy for leadership. And if love's not directing it, then my selfishness directs it. And my selfishness never takes it to a healthy place. It never makes it about the relationship. It makes it about me. But love changes the course.